It's a new story arc. Here we go. As always, we're going to curse. We're going to talk about gory stuff. Uh, you've been warned. Might be poop on the walls. There could be poop on the walls, and we could go into depth about it and not call it poop. So you've been warned to the rest of you. Hey, buckle in. Let's have some fun. We're going to start this episode a little differently. Oh, are we? This episode begins with a scene that you're not involved in. It's late at night. Should I plug my ears? No. Should I not know about this scene? No. No, 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 no. You know, I've set it all up like this. Okay. It's late at night. Two men leave a lounge and step into the stark spotlight of a street lamp. The guy on the right lights a match, cups it, and lights his smoke, and then leans out and lights his buddies. Up the street, a car revs to life, and it sounded a little bit like a deep growl, and the headlights flick on. The two men don't notice and begin crossing the street. The car shifts into gear and presses the gas pedal to the floor. The car leaps forward, smashing through the back corner of the vehicle in front of it, making a straight line towards the two men in the middle of the street. The first man turns and notices just in time and jumps backwards, revealing the second man walking in stride. The car hits him near the front right, driving him over with both tires, killing him instantly. As the first man recovers from the shock, the mangled corpse of his friend comes into focus. While down the street, the car screeches out of sight around a corner. Then, every dog chained up in a backyard in the area starts howling. So! That was dramatic. Right on. So, Todd Sullivan, it is Tuesday, October 29th. It's officially 16 days since the cave. The cave was Take note of these things. They might come up on quizzes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, that's right. As uh, I watched Todd Sullivan uh, pull open his notepad and start writing. Tuesday, sorry, October what? October 29th, 16 days since the cave. The cave was on a Sunday. Two work weeks have passed. And now it's Tuesday. Okay. Plain old Tuesday. Plain old Tuesday. What's Jack been up to? What has Jack been up to? I have had... One case in the last couple of weeks, things didn't didn't exactly go super well. So uh, once again, I was I was hired to check in on a philandering spouse. And this guy had a suspicion that his his wife was messing around on him, so he hired me to check in on her while he was away on a business trip. Found her canoodling with the milkman. Oh, really? Yeah, we got some pictures. We got, because um, uh, of course I bought a camera last time. Right. Uh, and then... What kind of pictures, like? Oh, nothing too salacious. I didn't want to burn out the husband's retinas, but I got close. I got, I got peeking in the window and uh, got some intimate moments. Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't take um, the news well. I mean, nobody does, but um, he ended up... Killing them both. Wow. Okay. So, uh, and and what's the fallout from that, Jack? Yeah. So I've got a minus one on my stability now because I'm just I'm not feeling good about how that played out and my my role and responsibility on that. Okay. So we're saying a minus one to all stability rolls. Yeah. I think that's reasonable. Sure. We could call it rattled. Okay. You're rattled. 
Yeah, this case even made the news. Um, it made the newspapers. You had to read about this. Thankfully, in the newspapers, it was only ever listed as a PI was involved, but mm-hmm. uh, they're calling him the milkman murderer. And uh, I guess he pretended to be out of town a second time, waited until the two of them were in bed, came into the house and shot them both in the bed, creating this very uh, gruesome scene of this loving couple in bed. So the milkman murderer, and he was arrested, is now waiting to go on trial. So yeah, I can see that messing with your stability, with Jack's stability, most definitely. Yeah. I love your hat, by the way. That's a very uh, private you. investigator hat. Thank you. It's yeah. more, I don't know if it's 40s. It's more probably like 60s maybe, but um, maybe it's not. No, I don't know. It seems pretty old school. Pretty what do you tight. call that? Uh, it's a flat cap, I think. Flat cap, right? That's yeah. a flat cap style. That one, especially just the pattern on it, it's very fitting. It's got a bit of a dark green plaid. I like it. It came. Uh, it actually came in a, uh, with a bottle of uh, scotch many years ago. <laughs> so... That's the setback. That's the the bad thing that's happened while we've been away. Has there been any... Um, so that's the setback. What have you gained in the last couple of weeks? What have you been working on? Yeah, so I think we established early on that Jack is very much a... Like, he's a former journalist. He's very much about facts, things that can be proven and, um, you know, recorded. But he's now at a point where he's seen enough things that uh, that are outside the realm of facts uh, or easily explainable things. And he, he's open to some some more woo elements. Okay, woo so, elements, explain that. So you spooky things, things that aren't explainable, things that aren't natural, maybe. Okay, um, the supernatural. The supernatural. He's, he's gaining some belief in the supernatural. Some willingness to believe in it. Okay, yeah, yeah I like that. Um, so he, he sought out, um, a spiritual shop. Okay. Some kind of, someone selling sort of spiritual or holistic or, you know, those sorts of items. Okay. And, uh, and asked for something that would be maybe protective. Okay. Some sort of ward. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. What, uh, what did you, what did you, what was Jack's presented with? Well, I thought you would tell me that. I'm thinking something that would diminish or catch the potential negative energies around me. The shopkeeper goes to the back and returns with this crystal, kind of like a necklace. It's wrapped in an old twine. It's it's dark, like almost like an off black and flat, like a dusty white exterior to it. But if you kind of hold it upright, you almost see through slivers of it, these like shots of red. It's this really unique looking stone that at first glance looks dull and ordinary until, yeah, you kind of hold it up to the light correctly and, and look through it and it just has these glints of something like, a, like a, a redness in it. And so, and it's on this piece of really old twine. It's got elaborate knotting holding it in place and... Is it meant for wearing around your neck or? It, it could be worn around a neck. You could hang it from your rear view mirror. You could do with it what you wish, but it's supposed to help ward okay. against spirits. Uh, I will wear it around my neck then. <laughs> Jack is wearing a hippie crystal? He is now, yeah. <laughs> Got so a goat and a hippie crystal. So he's starting to truly believe in something. I mean, well, that's that at, takes a bit of dedication. At this point, it's like... Um, You'd be open to ridicule in the 1950s for something like that. Oh, he's not. It's not on top of his shirt. It's underneath no. His shirt. It's underneath his he's shirt. He's not that bold, okay. but he's gotten to that point where he's seen enough, 
and had enough of his life being in some degree of danger from this, these supernatural elements that he's willing to try thinking outside of his regular box. Okay. Right. Cool. I dig it. Speaking of goat, how has goat been? Goat's been good. I've been bringing home uh, fresh lettuce for him. Yeah, I want to ask, like, how has Jack been dealing with having a farm animal in his apartment? Um, I mean, it's taken a little bit of getting used to. Right. Cleaning up the poop and right. making sure he's fed and, and walked and, uh, you know, bringing him out on the cases with me, leaving him in the car when I have to go and take pictures, but... Right, so by this point, then, the backseat of your car does not look like it used to. He's been chewing away yeah, at no, it. it. Doesn't. it doesn't. There's exposed springs. He's slowly eating your backseat. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought a fun thing would be at the very top of the stairs of your building where the you would kind of turn to the left and there's an entrance to your office. If you were to walk forward, there's a fire escape exit right there at the okay. top landing. And if you push through that door, you end up on a metal outside fire escape that has stairs to the roof as well as down to the ground. And you've decided to purchase bags of topsoil with the extra cash you have around and spread it on the roof, filling it from end to end. You put burlap sacks into kind of the drainage areas to help the uh, uh, soil remain on the roof, and then spread grass seed all over it, thinking that perhaps in the future, this could be a place to put goat. Put goat, that's a good idea. Have a little pasture for goat in the city. <laughs> on the roof of the building. On the roof of the building. Sure. So uh, so you've been working on that, as Jack has been working on that yeah, as yeah. well. I dig it, I dig it. Well, Jack, yes. like, like every day, you head downstairs to Marjorie's Books and More. Yeah, grab the newspaper. Grab the newspaper. Um, she, she inquires about um, your heritage and whether or not you come from a, a clogging family. She's noticed that you seem to be uh, practicing clogging, and she just has a, a mild interest in your heritage and... Whether or not clogging is, is part of your family's tradition. It's, it's not part of my family's tradition, but I am, I am you know, trying to pick up some new interests and new skills. Okay, all right. Well, she, she wishes you the best of luck. Doesn't sound like you're getting much better. Okay, fair but, enough. But, uh, yeah, she wishes you best with your clogging. Okay. So it's Tuesday, October 29th. Yep. There's not too much Going on in the newspaper, you notice just an above-average uh, amount of, like, petty crime articles. Of course, the, uh, the Milkman murderer has been in the press as of recently. Um, there's a small article on page three uh, talking about how he's going to court soon. In larger news, uh, the United Nations Charter came into effect this week. It was written and signed on June 26th of 1945 a few months ago in uh, San Francisco, California. I just want to read you uh, some, some part of the United Nations Charter. This is okay, the United cool. Nations Charter, for reals. This is verbatim. We the peoples of the United Nations determined to have succeeding generations from the scourge of war, which twice in our lifetime has brought untold sorrow to mankind, and to reaffirm faith in fundamental human rights, in the dignity and worth of the human person, in the equal rights of men and women and of nations large and small, and to promote social progress, better standards of life, and larger freedom. And to these ends, we shall practice tolerance and live together in peace with one another as good neighbors, and to unite our strength to maintain international peace and security, to ensure that armed force shall not be used save in the common interest, and to employ international machinery for the promotion of the economic and social advancement 
of all peoples. And uh, I just, man, that's some good shit right there. And of course, that international machinery are the microchips that they're putting in the vaccines. Oh, God. (laughs) Join Todd on his other podcast, Half Cut Conspiracies, where he (laughs) jokes about things like that. We have done an episode on the UN. On the UN? Yeah. Oh, that's quite interesting. Well, there you go. What episode would that have been? Do you know the number? Oh, maybe around five. It was five. It's a two-parter, actually. It's okay. so big. Two-parter around five about the UN. Then yep. that's Half Cut Conspiracies, your other podcast. So anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. There's not much else going on in human history in that time in 1945. World War II is broken up. Um, but it is cool that the, uh, the UN Charter came into effect. And, and Yeah, it's, it's interesting that it was signed in, in California. or Yeah, California. In San Francisco, yeah. yeah. Uh, not somewhere else in uh, all the nations. The world. Yeah, all the nations arrived there and did it. Canada wow. among them. Uh, so that was kind of cool. There, I do have an article for you to read as well. All right. There's one line in here, uh, a quote, a single quote line. Pass this back to me and I'll, I'll say you the You got the voice line. for it? Okay. I'm going to do the voice for the All quote right. line and, and then cut to like the sound of a press conference and shit. Okay. Uh, and I will point out, because this was something that came up on our, our wrap-up, uh, I'm going to take the newspaper and go down the street to a diner and have some breakfast. Oh, okay. You're I'm going to take time out to eat. Oh, just, oh, right. I just, I dig that. Okay, so this morning you went and you grabbed the paper and went to a diner? Yeah. And you've been sitting at a diner this whole time? Yeah, I'm going to have uh, bacon and eggs and some toast and uh, black coffee, um, splash a little whiskey Yeah, in there pull, the, the, pull the flask out yeah. of your inner pocket. Exactly. I dig it. All right, here we go. Um, headline, what's next? LA's recent heat waves saw more than just the temperature rise. Reports coming in are showing an abrupt rise in crime throughout the area. LAPD and area crime reports show a 25% increase in reported criminal activity in the last six weeks, and we've noticed it in the headlines, too. From explosive church vandalism and a killer garage mechanic in San Bernardino, that's part of my case, isn't it? To the disappearance of local church leader John Harmon, last week's milkman murders, double homicide, news reports of unusual crimes are noticeably on the rise. The latest curious criminal coincidence, LAPD have issued a warning to look both ways before crossing the street late at night. There have been several reports of an extremely dangerous driver prowling the streets of LA late at night with two victims in hospital, one in critical condition. Witnesses described a speeding black car with a total disregard for human safety or traffic regulations. LAPD Police Chief George Dredd spoke to media Monday morning. We are aware of this miscreant speed demon and just want to tell him, your days are numbered, bub. Monday night saw LAPD check stops at four major junctions with many tickets written, but no arrests relating to the miscreant speed demon. LA is warned to remain vigilant when out at night for the time being. So is this, is this what you narrated at the beginning? Because you said one of the guys was killed instantly. It is contradictory, and that is intentional. Okay. All Interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. So you finish up breakfast at the cafe down the street? Yep. And what's next for you? Uh, I'm going to order some takeout hash browns to bring home to goat. That is a good plan. Grab some takeout hash browns, bring them home to goat, get home. 
Uh, have a big shit, of course, right? Of course, got to about the right time in the morning. Yeah, I've had my two cups of coffee. <laughs> yeah, right. My bowels are prepped. <laughs> We're all about the uh, narrative accuracy here. Uh, big props to Marco Kowski for making us think of a Patreon subscriber. Yeah. So you've had your morning constitutional. You're sitting at your desk, uh, considering the day, waiting for the phone to ring. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you hear heavy footsteps up the stairs outside your office, and an authoritative knock. Come in. Two police officers enter your office, one older, one younger. Jack Shepard? That's, that's the name. You've been summoned downtown. Captain wants to see you. Now. What's this all about? He sniffs a little. Smells kind of funky up here. Let's go. Okay. So your streetwise and uh, journalist background let you know who this police captain is. Okay. The police captain is 54-year-old George Dredd. Oh, the guy in the story. Yes. Due to World War II, recruiting numbers are really low for the LAPD. Okay. And George Dredd has been known to be willing to work a little dirty. Rumors have it that he acted as officer, judge, jury, and executioner on a few occasions. So this guy's going to turn into Judge Dredd eventually, right? Back when he was a patrolman <laughs> back in the day. As captain, you've heard hush tales of back alley hits and dumped bodies by Boys in Blue blamed on organized crime. Okay. But that's L.A. for you. It's alluring but dangerous. So they put you in the back of the police car, no cuffs. And you're taken downtown to a big red brick building with a huge fence parking lot. Uh, you're escorted by elevator to the fifth floor where you find a room half full of detectives at their desks, some taking statements from victims, a few scruffy characters sit wearing cuffs. At the back of the room is a large office walled in by opaque glass. The officer leading you opens the door and stands to the side. And you look through the doorway and see Police Chief George Dredd behind his desk. All right, I'll walk through the door. Cool. George Dredd sits behind his desk, a broad, burly man. He's resting his thick forearms on the desk, right hand holding a lit cigarette over an ashtray, brooding. Sitting in a chair across in a San Bernardino officer uniform is a man with an orange handlebar mustache. You don't recognize looking quite relaxed. Initially hidden out of view to your left, you notice in the corner of the room, leaned against the wall, still in his aviators, is an LAPD cop you do recognize, Axel from the Red Light District. Hmm, okay. Um. Dredd speaks from behind his desk. Jack Shepard, I assume. Have a seat. Thank you. I'll sit down. This is Constable Ben Fitzpatrick of the San Bernardino Police Department. And I uh, hear you've met Axel, B-Cop from... We've met, yeah. George gives a little affirmative nod to Constable Ben Fitzpatrick. What do you know about the explosions at Santa Merita Church? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Ira Lowen said you dropped by your church after the explosion, asking questions. She said she gave you my number and you were going to contact me. Why were you there? Uh, it was related to a case I was working on. Captain George Dredd speaks up. We're looking for specifics here, Jack. You know that altar's still missing. Any ideas where? Nope, couldn't tell you. George Dredd from behind his desk. 
Do you know a Sean Buck, plant manager at Hyperion Water Treatment Plant? Yeah, I believe we've been, uh, we've met. Listen, two weeks ago, someone planted a TNT bomb. Now, Sean says you alerted them of a possible threat and saved the city a serious catastrophe. How'd you know to do this, Jack? Lucky guess. <laughs> you know, that would-be bomber, he fled in an old Red International. Might have been there a few days before under the pseudonym Tom Boom. Any idea who that might have been? Couldn't tell you. Fitzpatrick speaks. You know, San Bernardino... <laughs> <laughs> that accent needs to stick a little better. Oh, tartar, tartar. <laughs> you know, San Bernardino Forest Services put out a fire in the northern foothills two weeks ago. George speaks again. Any guesses what might have been in that fire, Jack? A, a match? <laughs> <laughs> right, a match. Yeah, and, and perhaps uh, underneath that match, two pickup trucks one of which just happens to be an old red International, the other a blue Ford. If you say so. No plates, papers, or VINs, but they just happen to match the description of vehicles owned by two missing persons in two unrelated cases. That is interesting, isn't it? You ever been to a cave in the northern San Bernardino foothills? Can't say that I have. I'm told you'd know if you've been there. It's quite impressive. And I guess I haven't. The constable speaks. An officer noticed there seemed to be a lot of foot traffic up a side road in that area. Found a cave, looking like someone had been living in it. Police chief speaks. And all of it seemingly unrelated. Till Axel mentioned talking to you as well. Axel speaks from the back of the room. Not much of it. Uh, Jack asked about the disappearances south of Almeida. The last of which was John Buckley who just happened to drive a dark blue 41 Ford, just like the one in that fire. That was two weeks ago, then just as quick, no more disappearances and no sightings of that new girl. So the, the, the absence of disappearances, I feel like, would be a, a positive. Police chief speaks. Listen, Jack, it seems like you've been sniffing around all of this. What is the story? I'm just a guy who likes sniffing. I want to work with you, Jack. Let's be honest. Recruitment numbers are down. Crime is on the rise. And I need all the help I can get. But you got to start being honest with me. Uh, there's very little that I can divulge without breaking some level of client confidentiality. Do you know who planted those explosives at the water treatment facility. I have a very strong suspicion, and I am fairly confident that he is no longer in the picture. You're talking about Thomas Thengen? His family's reported him missing now. He was the owner of that Red International, wasn't he? Possible. Why were you south of Almeida Street asking Axel about these potential disappearances in that neighborhood? Do you know who the new girl is? I might. I'm fairly confident she won't be returning to Almeida Street. This isn't helpful, Jack. I could make your life a living hell. I'm trying to give you what I can. Why didn't you ever contact me like you told IR alone that you would? Honestly, uh, I just didn't have the time. It, the case went in different directions. My instincts tell me 
you stink of these cases, that you are all up in this. I respect your need for client secrecy, but you can understand how I don't need an impediment to justice. Yep, I can see that. Uh, and that's why I've been trying to get across the message that the man behind the attempting bombing is not likely to be a problem in the future. You got an opportunity here to be on the right side, to be with the good guys, trying to make change and improve this town. You clearly got a nose for investigation, and I'd rather you an asset, an ally, than an adversary. I quite agree. If you find yourself in a position in L.A. or in San Bernardino where you think I'm going to be pulling you back in here for more questions, I hope you preemptively call one of these two police officers. Next time I haul you in here, you're not just going to be walking back out again without cuffs on. Now, lastly, we got that milkman murderer in lockup. Says you tipped him off about his wife. Now, technically, you did nothing wrong. But I don't need to tell you, being associated with events like that will leave a hell of a stink on your name. Let me assure you that I am already, I'm already incredibly displeased with how that turned out. Um, I was hired to find out what the man's wife was doing. I did my job. I did not think it would turn out the way that it did. And I am not proud of being associated with what went down there. Fair. I hope the next time you and I speak, it's under better terms. Me too. All right. Get out of here. <laughs> Not even going to offer me a drink? No. I mean, there are ways where that would have played out much better. So you're driven back by these officers in the back of their police car. At some point, the car stops at an intersection. You look down a side street, and you almost don't recognize the cleaned-up Ella Hearse nervously walking down the sidewalk towards you. Ella Hearse is Helen Deacon's nurse and probably the killer of three people who you saved from that cave. Uh, she has a scarf over her head like a cowl. Then she notices the police car and immediately looks down and pulls the scarf tighter around her face. She doesn't notice you. Ella turns towards the door of an underground shop, suspiciously looks left and right, and then enters. The wood sign hanging from a pole above the doorway is black with raised white Chinese lettering on it, no English. And then the car starts moving. Uh. Hey, guys, can you let me out here? The two officers look at each other and go, yeah, sure, and pull over to the side of the road okay. and let you out All right. a half block from where you just saw Ella Hearst. Well, I'm going to hurry back that half block and see what the F is going on there. Cool. Are you doing this uh, stealthily? Not going back the half block, I'm not. 
Right. Okay. So you I'm get just back jogging down the street. Oh, okay. Okay. So you arrive back at this business uh, that you just watched Ella Hurst go into. It's this, yeah, black sign hanging from a pole above the door with nothing but uh, white Chinese lettering on it. The top half of the door is reinforced glass. You can look and see a stairway heading down one floor, and then turning to the left. You can't see beyond. Okay. Um, okay. I will. I'll go in, but I will. When I go in, I will be. Stealthy, not Let, not like super stealthy, but like I don't want to immediately get Ella's attention. I want to right. go in. So get, let's let's roll for that. Yeah, stealth is a thing. I got and two dice, many, and you have two dice. Yeah, uh, give me a stealth roll with an advance of six. Oh shit! I'm only supposed to roll one at a time, so uh, one. Okay. <laughs> two and one is two. <laughs> <laughs> I fall down the stairs, I guess. Well, yeah, that would be a setback, wouldn't it? Okay. You head down these cement stairs, uh, trying to remain quiet, and um, you do it. You successfully don't make a lot of noise, but halfway down, you slip, and your footing changes, and you're able to go out and uh, reach out and brace against the wall, and your stumble only goes two steps and you don't make a whole lot of noise. Unfortunately, you just step down very awkwardly on your healed ankle and have really sprained it badly. Oh, damn it. Uh, and are going to gain a minus two on athletics checks until further notice for your uh, rolled ankle. That damn roll ankle is back. You feel the hot pain of pulling all those muscles in your ankle. Uh, but I'm able to make it down to the bottom of the stairs with a mild limp. Okay. And in the dojo are two people sparring. Fight! With a third person off against the wall. They have their geese on. The larger of the two combatants is a male, and he reaches out with a strike, and the smaller, more nimbler person in their gi is able to turn and reverse them and throw them to the ground. And that's when you notice it's Helen Deacon, of all people, who just flipped that man. And you look off to the side and notice Ella Hearst putting her gi on. And you have come across Ella Hearst and Helen Deacon. Uh, Helen Deacon is Margaret Deacon's sister, the woman who started this whole thing off. Ella Hearst was her nurse. And here they both are in a karate class. And they notice you. Ella Hurst sees you, says nothing, and kind of pulls back a little, like kind of PTSD. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, slinks, becomes smaller against the wall. Helen looks at you, recognizes you. Jack. Jack Shepard? Hey. What are you doing here? Uh, I just happened to see Ella dropping in here and was just curious to see what she was up to. It looks like you guys have become reacquainted. She looks over at Ella, who looks frightened, a, a little more animalistic all of a sudden. Jack, we should talk. Follow me. Is this okay, Master? And uh, he nods. And you are taken to an adjacent room. Looks like a space to change and stuff like that. Listen, Jack, I'm going to need your discretion on this. I don't know what my sister would think if she knew I was here. Uh, here is in the dojo or here is in with Ella? 
the dojo. It was Margaret's idea that Ella and I meet. We both have uh, been through a lot. And that's why we're here, to regain our power, our strength, to not feel fear anymore, to be able to defend ourselves so that we're never victims again. I can understand that. I don't think my sister would as much, and I'd appreciate it if you kept this quiet. And she won't find out from me. Thank you. How is, how is Ella doing? Seeing you doesn't seem to have helped. It's slow going. There are moments when she seems normal, but a lot more moments where she doesn't. She told me what she did, Jack. She doesn't even know how she did it. And I understand. I remember feeling that way. Out of my own body, scared, locked inside myself, but no more. We're going to make them scared, scared of us. And I hope in that we can, Ella can find her strength again. Well, I wish you both the best uh, in, in your, your healing and, and getting on with your lives. Uh, and as always, if you need anything from me, please let me know. You know, you're all right, Jack. Thanks. Thank you. All right, I'm going to get back to my training. And I'll leave the dojo. All right, you're back up on the street. Yeah. Uh, probably take a bus home, I guess. Because <laughs> okay. I don't know how far away I am from home, but... Sure. Okay, you, uh, you take a bus. It's not bad. You're dropped uh, about two blocks from your house. Walk the remaining distance. And just as you're about to enter, insert your key in the door to your office... You hear a honk from a car down the street. Well, I'll have a look down this. Oh, God, is this a car about to run me over? Uh, you look down the street, and there's a car parked about three car lengths back, and it flashes its headlights at you once. Okay, I'll approach the car, see what's up. You get closer, and it's Mickey Cohen behind of course, the it's steering Mickey wheel. Mickey Cohen. He motions you to get in the passenger seat. I'm being taxied around a lot today. <laughs> I'll get in the car. Boom, diggity. There is another episode finished. This is Dave Colmine. Thank you so much for listening. You guys absolutely rock. We now even have some Colmines Clubhouse merchandise. Links for everything, the Patreon, the Clubhouse, web addresses, Twitter handles, YouTube, uh, the store. It's all right there in the, the description of this episode. You can find all the links below. Beyond all that, we just, like, thank you for taking the time to listen and support what we do. I so sincerely appreciate it, and so does my co-host, Todd. Todd creates two other podcasts. He has Half Cut Conspiracies where he discusses conspiracy theories with his friend and they drink a bunch. And he has a second podcast called When Banned Things Happen to Good People, where he discusses banned media, mostly books, but also other media, along with his co-host on that one. Todd and I have started work and recorded the first session of the Patreon-exclusive adventure we're putting together. Uh, called Madness and Mysteries, The Case Files of Frank Goldmine, in which I play the detective, Frank Goldmine, uh, a uh, couch-surfing jazz drummer from the 1940s who gets uh, 
ensnared in a bit of intrigue in a case. Meanwhile, Todd Sullivan is the game master for these sessions, uh, the director guiding me through the adventure. So that one's going to be Patreon exclusive and probably be around four hours of content with a wrap-up episode as well. And all of that's going to be Patreon exclusive. I don't know how long it's going to take us to do it. Uh, probably a couple of months, hopefully less. But we are working on it and really excited about it. And the first episode's done, in, or probably two episodes in the can. And the next episode of this is recorded, so I'm going to be editing starting tomorrow i'll put this away for the day and post the episode thank you so much for listening once again all ways to support us are in the episode description one of the best ways if you happen to be an apple user and can rate our podcast on the apple podcast app i don't know i'm an android user so i don't use that system but i hear they they hold a lot of the cards those apple guys they hold a lot of the beans a lot of the cards and uh, if we want to spread this, I hear that's one of the best ways. Some positive reviews on the Apple app go a long way. You're listening to Service Enough and so appreciated. Uh, I went with a different format here. I tried to keep as much of the conversation inside the episode as possible, making it so there are no outtakes. But I don't know. I'm just enjoying that conversational style. I've been listening to some other podcasts like Video Games, a comedy podcast. Highly recommend it. Those guys are amazing. I think they're putting out the best video game podcast in existence, and I'm a bit inspired by their host and his conversational style. So I tried to edit these episodes a bit differently. I'd love any feedback on any of this stuff. Get a hold of us uh, through the Clubhouse email or any of the links that just happen to be in this episode description. Let us know what you think. Shorter episodes okay? Would you like him to return to a longer format and come out less frequently? Although, boy, lately, the release schedule. My release schedule sucks no matter what, and I've been apologetic to that before. And I put out the art when the art's done. I am trying to make the art 40 minutes instead of an hour and 20 minutes, which hopefully uh, improves the release schedule. Much love. Thank you so much for listening. Can't wait to see you guys IRL or in the chats. Much love. And big thanks to my co-host, Todd Sullivan. Peace.